We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Feeling the 68 brought to you by Rhythm. We've got a big week, uh, big weekend of college hoops to get through as we update the projected bracket as Selection Sunday creeps closer and closer. I am Kevin Sweeney, joined today by Brad Wachtel and Rocco Miller, the experts on the matter. Uh, so if your team had a big win or a bad loss over them, uh, they're going to fill you in. Like, what happened? Is it bad? Is it as bad as it felt that Saturday night? Uh, we will let you know. So uh, Super Bowl Sunday in the rearview mirror, college hoops in in, in full swing. Uh, Rocco, it, it, it's a beautiful day to be uh, be a college hoops fan, isn't it? It's always a beautiful day to be a college hoop fan, uh, Mr. Sweeney. It's good good to be joined by you and Brad again. And, uh, yeah, you know, the weekend was uh, – I know we'll jump into some of the games that really stood out, but, you know, just something that won't even be talked about on the show today. How about that Appalachian State-Toledo game? Uh, down nine, Appalachian State, come back, send it to overtime, goes double OT. And we go into the weekend fired up for about 40 different games that impact the bracket. And uh, I'm still convinced that that was the best game, even above those 40. So it was a good, good weekend. It, it was awesome. And it, it did make me miss the Bracket Buster games. I know, Brad, I don't know how much Bracket <laughs> Busters would really change things for, for selection purposes, for the purposes of this show. But I, I certainly miss having it. And that game gave, me, gave us a little reminder, didn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And yeah, as you mentioned, now that the Super Bowl is in the rearview mirror, this is the unofficial start of college basketball season for the casual fan. Uh, so they're about to learn a lot about what's going on and where we're at. And that's what we're here for. We're here to fill you in with where every team stands and excited to do so. Let, let's, let's take everybody through it. Let's start with the games of the weekend. Who moved the needle the most? Who helped themselves? Who hurt themselves? Rocco, give us a couple games that really stood out to you when you were you know, building your seed list this morning, which, which games move the needle Friday, Saturday, Sunday. It's funny you ask, cause I'm out here in uh, California where I, where I live. And there was actually like the first four games I wrote down were all West related uh, impacted games. So first of all, I, you know, I did the Arizona Utah game last Thursday and two of the games on Saturday impacted both of those teams pretty uh, dramatically. Arizona had just become a one seed on Friday for all of us, I believe at least the majority and uh, myself included, they were in a kind of an uphill battle coming off a triple overtime game. They go to Colorado. Uh, a lot of the quote-unquote experts were saying it's a great spot for Colorado. Arizona went out and dominated the game and 
Uh, Pell Larson, Caleb Love both had tremendous road trips. The mountain road trip, for those of you who don't watch the Pac-12 much, is, uh, in my opinion, not only the easily the toughest road trip in that league, it's probably the toughest road trip in any league, going at altitude, having to fly between both Salt Lake City and Denver and play tough teams. Um, so kudos to Arizona for that. I also thought, you know, the big story, uh, Gonzaga running out of chances, get this big, you know, Willy Wonka uh, magic ticket, a golden ticket, if you will, to go to Rupp Arena. And again, you know, we, we'll talk about Kentucky later, losing three in a row at home. But Gonzaga had absolutely nothing on their resume in the even near quad one. Unfortunately, a bunch of their non-conference work fell apart with a lot of those teams not having good seasons. Uh, they were able to go in and get that win ultimately and change the dynamics of their resume. And uh, back to Utah, them losing at home to Arizona State completely shook up uh, what we thought was a solid tournament team. We'll talk about them in a minute. And then lastly, um, the big surprise I thought out of Albuquerque was uh, UNLV not only beating New Mexico in the pit where New Mexico has been so great, uh, but that's actually New Mexico now getting swept by UNLV. So just a huge story in the Mountain West kind of out of nowhere. Brad, other things you noticed? Maybe uh, maybe heading back towards the Eastern time zone? Yeah, definitely. First of all, I would agree with Rocco. I think the Gonzaga win at Kentucky had the most impact on the bracket because Gonzaga was a team that was not even in you know, our first four out from, for the majority of us. Um, and they skyrocketed. That's a, that's a critical win, even though Kentucky has not been playing as well uh, of late. That's still a massive win that they had to get. Other games that, that were critical, uh, Michigan State uh, beating Illinois at home. Again, the Big Ten, not many opportunities uh, are around, and they needed some quality wins to really improve their, their quad situation, uh, and they got it. Uh, and, and the great part about Michigan State is they have the predictive metrics, which have, have no impact on whether or not they get in the field, but for seeding purposes, it does play a role. So Michigan State was a team that a lot of people did not have in the field last um, as of Friday, and they've jumped into a lot of people's fields and maybe not even in, you know, we'll see where they lie uh, when we get a little bit later in the show. So I thought that was a, a critical win uh, for the Spartans and the Big Ten. Uh, and then the other game I'll, I'll mention is that happened yesterday. It was an unfortunate game for Seton Hall, who is sliding down uh, the ladder. Uh, Seton Hall already had not the best metrics out there, and getting blown out at Villanova, you know, losing a game at Villanova is not the end of the world. But in the day and age where metrics matter, you know, final score, points per possession, all of that matters. Seton Hall took a significant hit. Um, it's something that they can come back from, but it's it hurts them, especially in the short term. I believe down to 76 this morning in the net, which is not ideal for Seton Hall, certainly not ideal for their opponents either, as that is right around one of those quadrant thresholds, 75 for road games for quad one, 75 for quad two in home games. So that is a storyline to monitor in the Big East, which we will get to. Uh, Rocco, I wanted to ask you ask you quickly about another bubble game that didn't get a lot of attention during the day. I feel like there was so much going on, so many close games. Um, but Florida dominating Auburn, that, that felt like maybe not a lock you into the field win, but certainly solidify the Gators' position. Is that fair to say? I, I think so, yeah. I mean, we I think we all agreed Florida was just above Dayton or maybe a couple of us still had him in the Dayton first first four into the, you know, going to play that extra game, the play-in game. Now I think they're clearly outside of that. And, um, you know, with their 
if you want to just use metrics as as a circuit breaker function to make sure they're kind of lined up where they should be all of their metrics are saying they're a top 30 team they're 27th right now in resume around 31 in net so right around 30 and uh pretty much ken palm and everything else are right right there for the gators and there's really no bad at all like we've been saying outside of those seven quad one losses they've been perfect against everybody else so as long as they keep adding not only any kind of win but a great win like auburn and they got at kentucky the week before you know it's just going to improve but i will say from the gator standpoint still a lot of season left they're still just one in four in their best road games they got that kentucky one to check the box a little bit but they don't want to end up at the end of the year like one in seven or one in eight in that area almost every sec road trip will be a challenge um so i do think uh todd Goldie need to go and get another road win or two to really feel good about their chances. And that's that's still unfinished business. And Brad, one more big SEC home court win I wanted to mention before we get into our number one seeds. Uh, a blowout win for Texas A&M at home against Tennessee. Uh, again, I'm not sure the Aggies were were sweating too, too much about missing the tournament. But if they were, that, that certainly answered that question in, in, in relatively resounding fashion. No question. And for me, they were not quite a bubble team, but they were getting close. Um, this this puts them much more safer in the field. I feel pretty good about their chances. I mean, they're eight and six against quad one and two opponents, which is a really good number. Um, and even though they have two Q3 losses, they have the strong wins. They beat Iowa State on a neutral court. Now, now they got the win over Tennessee. They beat Kentucky. Um, beat Florida, so they, they've got the quality wins. They're in they're in good position to uh, to be solidly in the field and and potentially even move up the ladder um, with with some uh, some more quality wins. All right, we will get more into the SEC in our third segment, our conference breakdowns, SEC and ACC on the docket today. Also, we'll be talking Big East bubble teams. Last four in, first four out, the whole nine yards. Uh, but before we get there, we have to reveal, as we do every show, the number one seeds. Now, our, our big shift on Friday, uh, Arizona jumped onto the top line after that win over Utah on the road, combined with North Carolina losing at home against Clemson. Did anything change this week? We reveal those now. Uh, our four number one seeds staying the same. Purdue, uh, our, our top overall seed. Uh, heading into a home game against Minnesota coming up on Thursday. UConn still solidly as that number two overall seed in the field. Houston, uh, a number one. And then Arizona sticks there after blowing out Colorado in pretty impressive fashion. Uh, I think that's probably where we should should stay. Rocco, you saw Arizona earlier this past week. Um, obviously, a, a big win over Utah than the, the win over Colorado. You mentioned the challenge of that road trip. Given the Tennessee lost and that North Carolina didn't look great against Miami, is is Arizona's hold on this fourth number one spot pretty solid at this point? Just all as you can ask for. I mean, they, they did emerge from the group of two seeds to get here. And again, all the damage they did on the road last week really helped kind of further uh, cement themselves. So from that standpoint, you would uh, be fair in saying that, Kevin. I would also just say, uh, that Kansas is right below them now. I've actually got Kansas passing North Carolina as the strongest two seed. Nothing that Carolina did wrong this weekend. They, of course, won at Miami. But with Kansas beating Baylor, followed by, you know, the weekend before Kansas beating Houston, 
they've now got eight wins against the field, which is the most uh, out of any team in the country besides Purdue, who also has eight and five quad one a wins for Kansas. Um, they have their own kind of resume brewing. However, Arizona still has more overall quad one wins. They're much stronger in some of the other areas. Well, I, I'm a big road win person myself. I, I know a lot of committee members who agree with me on that. And uh, Arizona, much uh, a lot to do with last week, is now five and two against the top two quads in road, true road games, seven and five away neutral. And Kansas, quite honestly, has just been an average road team, five and five away neutral overall, and two and three in those marquee road opportunities so far. And, um, you know, if you wanted another circuit breaker opportunity to compare, um, Arizona's got them beat pretty handily in all of the uh, the metrics. So uh, Arizona can feel good for today, but Kansas is on their tail. And, of course, the difference between the Big 12 and the Pac-12 this year uh, is Kansas is going to keep getting big opportunities a lot more frequently than Arizona. Uh, and Arizona, funny enough, will get to join them next year, but it's not going to work out this year for that. Brad, Brad, do you see see things similarly? I know we talked on Friday about um, you know just being challenging for any of these Big Twelve teams to string together enough total wins to to get onto that number one line. Can Kansas push for that top spot? And and how important, if they can, are games like tonight against Texas Tech on the road to try to really make a, a sustained effort towards that top line? Yeah, they they absolutely can. And just like Rocco said, I totally agree. They are my top two seed now. Five and two against Q1A opponents is a real solid record. Um, and because they play, you know, here's the advantage and also could be the disadvantage that teams like Kansas and Marquette and even Tennessee still have, um, as opposed to a team like Arizona. They have a lot more opportunities to really move the needle and to really improve their resume but at the same time, they also have more opportunities to lose games to good teams. So it's, can they make a move? Of course they can. Um, as long as Arizona continues to just win games, beat the teams they're supposed to beat, they'll be okay. But if one of those teams, such as Kansas, Marquette, Tennessee, gets real hot and starts adding a ton more quality wins, especially on the road, as Rocco mentioned, which the committee loves, uh, there, there's still room for them to be jumped. It will be very interesting to see this top seed race continue to evolve. Uh, but for today, Arizona staying on the top line, again, joined by Purdue, UConn, and Houston. When we come back, bubble talk, last four in, first four out. A lot of changes over the weekend. We will break all of those down right when we come back on Fielding 68. As you guys know by now, we've partnered with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for the listeners and the viewers of the Field of 68 each and every week of the college basketball season. We have a special offer that will be available starting on Tuesday, January 9th, and running through Monday, February 12th, the morning after Super Bowl 58. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, in honor of the big game, you can use the bonus code FIELD158 and you'll get $158 in free bets on your first wager with BetMGM, regardless of whether or not you win that first bet. Here's how you make it work. Download the BetMGM app. Sign up using the bonus code FIELD158. Deposit at least $5 and place your first wager on any game. You'll receive $158 in bonus bets regardless of the outcome of your bet. Just make sure that you use that bonus code FIELD158 when you sign up. And remember, 
BetMGM is now available under one wallet in select states. As a New Jersey resident, this is super convenient when I have to go cover games in New York or Philly, which happens quite a bit. When you cross state borders, you just log into your existing account and fire away. You don't have to create separate accounts in each state. It's easy, it's simple, it's clean. And most importantly, we have some fun stuff coming up for the heart of the college basketball season. Bet insurance tokens, college hoops, odd boosts, and my favorite, a nice juicy parlay boost. So download the BetMGM app and sign up today. Field 158. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome back to Fielding the 68, brought to you by Rhythm. I am Kevin Sweeney, joined uh, by Brad Wachtel and Rocco Miller, taking you through our projected field. As a reminder, you can find that field uh, shortly after the show ends on all of the Field of 68 social media channels. So check that out for the whole projected field of 68. Uh, but for now, uh, let's dive into the bubble because much has changed since the weekend. Some pretty uh, dynamite results that have, have, have swung things quite a bit one way or another. We mentioned some of those, like Gonzaga, winning on the road at Kentucky, some teams kind of working their way off the bubble, working their way back onto the bubble. Uh, so Rocco, we'll start with you. G give us your last four in. Who who just made the cut this week? Well, yeah, it's 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 a funny week, as uh, we talked about before the show, because we have a lot of new teams that we didn't really talk about the last three, four weeks, and maybe some teams just in totally different positions. So for me, it starts with Mississippi State. And again, for me personally, I had Mississippi State as my first team out on Friday. So if you think about it, they moved four whole spots. I, I didn't even expect them to land in the Dayton area, uh, but just because of all the different shuffling, um, the, you know, I do think Mississippi State looks the part. They had a nice big road win at Missouri. Unfortunately, now Missouri lands in quad three. So they did they did check an important box by getting their first true road win of the year. They have a funky resume where they're one in six in true road games, but six and oh in neutral court games. I still think the committee wants to see them win some real road games. And without Missouri being in the top two quads, I just think there would still be some doubt perhaps about their resume. They also of course have the quad four loss to Southern University. And, you know, they're going to have other opportunities in the SEC. So I do think they're a team that's going to sort themselves out, whether it's good or bad down the road. Um, next, I have Boise State. Now, Boise State took a, uh, a big kind of, you know, from a final score standpoint, loss at Utah State. Really no shame in that. Of course, Utah State 
in first place in the Mountain West, solidly in the field. My concerns for the Broncos are they're now just 10 and 8 meaningful games, which, again, compared to the Power Conference bubble teams, is a, is a favorable record. However, when you're a Mountain West team, you kind of need to be a little bit more dominant than 10 and 8 in, the, in that area. And then they're also just 6 and 6 away neutral. Again, there's, uh, you know, two of those six are at Nevada and at New Mexico. So two of the best road wins money can buy in that league. But outside of that, you know, we're still trying to figure out where this Boise State team belongs. I think right here in the first four uh, in Dayton is is about right. Next, we have the polarizing team, the, the Gonzaga Bulldogs, who finally got a, any, a quad anything win, a, a quad uh, top two eight win. And it's a big one at Rupp Arena for now. Uh, Kentucky, as they stand today, is a seven seed, so it's a solid win over a team in the field on the road. Um, and you know, for Gonzaga, I just think it would be a split room uh, for the committee. I don't think everybody would be unanimous that they belong in right now. However, I do think um, that when you look at a team that's ranked top twenty in uh, things like B- BPI and Kempom, I think they're nineteenth in both today, and you have a twenty-fourth ranked net team. Even though their resume metrics, of course, are lagging and they they do have empty calories at the top of the resume, uh, despite that big win, um, I do think they would just slightly get the nod. Uh, so that's where I've got them. Uh, my goal here is to guess the committee, not to have my my opinion be correct. Uh, and, and then the last but not least is another shakeup from last week, Utah, the team I talked about earlier. Uh, the Utes right now are just in a, in a crazy situation where they get swept by Arizona State. They lose a triple overtime game to Arizona. And now they're just 10 and 9 in those meaningful games. And what I mean by that is any game not counting the fourth quadrant. So really any game that registers that's a home by game for the most part. And uh, in the Pac-12, Pac-12 is only the sixth best league this year. So you want to be a little bit stronger than 10 and 9 to feel good. They're 7 and 8 in the top two quadrants. So that's a losing record. And Without that win at St. Mary's, they'd probably be out. But that is becoming a stronger and stronger road win. Uh, but the Utes, I think we talked about this on Friday. They're just three and seven away neutral, and they're just one in five in uh, road games against the top two quadrants. So they have a lot of road work still to do. They have a huge trip to the LA schools. Not that the LA schools are tournament teams, but just to try to work on that part of their resume. If they can, if they can go down there and sweep, they'll be solid at the end next week. But Utah um, is barely in right now. Yeah, amazing to think about how different things could be for Utah if they find a way to win that Arizona game. Then they'll, instead of being you know, deflated into Arizona State, coming riding high, you win that game. They're what, like a six or a seven seed today? Instead, you know, really teetering yeah. on the brink here. Uh, Brad, your 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 last four in, how, how does it compare to Rocco? Let's see how much overlap we've got. Yep. Yeah, so we actually have two of the four teams are exactly the same. Um, so I'll touch on them very briefly. Uh, first of all, Utah, as Rocco mentioned, really took a big, big, big fall. Um, they were about an eight seed for me uh, prior to the last couple of games. Um, and the problem for them is, as Rocco mentioned, they're three and seven away from home is a problem. 51 strength of record is where that dropped to. That is an issue. Once you get that, once your strength of record starts getting into the 50s, um, you got to sound the alarm bells. Um, so they're in, and as Rocco mentioned, that win at St. Mary's is what's keeping them in right now. Got to start winning games. Got to start winning games. This is, this is, we're getting towards the home stretch. So, and then the other team, Boise State, as you mentioned, the one thing about Boise State that's, that kind of separates them from other teams are their road wins. Winning at New Mexico and at Nevada are strong, but 
The thing that does not bode well for them are their predictive metrics, and that really places them in the in the last foreign category at the moment. Um, and then my other two teams I have. First of all, I'll start with Nebraska. Now you say Nebraska beat Michigan and they beat them pretty handily. Yes, they did, but they also got jumped by some teams. And we mentioned, we talk about Gonzaga. I actually have Gonzaga in, but I have them in as uh, an 11 seed, just missing out on the last four in. And then I also had Michigan State, who was a team that was out of the field. When they beat Illinois, they jumped into the field and jumped Nebraska. So it's not all about how you do. It's about how everybody else does. And other teams had stronger wins that moved the needle a lot more than than it did for Nebraska. And, and in, for Nebraska's case, they have the worst road neutral record of any team that's in the at-large field right now. They're two and seven away from home. Um, they do have strong result-based metrics. They're in the top 40, which is solid. They don't have any bad losses, which is huge. And they have the top tier wins against the Big Ten in you know, Purdue and Wisconsin, Michigan State, even though Wisconsin has dropped off a little bit. Uh, and then the other factor that they have that's going against them is their non-conference strength of schedule, which is currently 328, not a good number to have. And when you get start getting near the bubble, they start the committee starts really, really dissecting your flaws, and you don't want to have too many of them. And while I do believe Nebraska is in right now, if they can't turn around that road neutral record a little bit, they're going to be in trouble. Uh, and then the final team that I have in is, as my last four in was a bit of a surprise to me because they dropped significantly when they lost at home to UNLV, and that's New Mexico. A uh, couple of reasons why they dropped so much. New Mexico doesn't have any significant victories away from home. They have the toughest remaining road schedule uh, of any Mountain West Conference team. They still get to play at Utah. They, they play at all the heavy hitters. So they have opportunities to really improve that strength of record, which dropped all the way down to 59 um, I'd like to see them, and I'm sure the committee would like to see them win one or two of those games remaining on the road. Um, and if they can do that, I think they're in good shape to get in because their predictive metrics are pretty strong. So it, I don't think they're relegated to last four in when it comes down to it. But you got to start beating some some more quality opponents, and doing so on the road will be very beneficial to them. But I was surprised that they dropped so far. Um, and to top it off that we also need to mention, uh, Richmond is currently the automatic bid out of the Atlantic 10 and South Florida is the automatic bid out of the American. So that's two more spots that, you know, there potentially could be that could open up for at large bids that are just not there right now. How about these next three games for New Mexico, potentially season defining stretch for the Lobos? They go to Nevada on Tuesday night. They go to San Diego State on Friday night, and then they come back home and host Colorado State uh, in on February the 21st. That is a Wednesday. So uh, ideally, you'd find a way to win one of the road games and then hold hold serve at home against the Rams. But uh, certainly a, a big uh, stretch ahead for Richard Pitino's team uh, after that surprising loss to UNLV. Let's reveal now our consensus last four in. Uh, so we have Utah, who... As as we alluded to earlier, coming off that tough weekend, they do stay in the field for now. Nebraska as well in the field, despite that road record. New Mexico staying in the field, but certainly in a much more tenuous position uh, than they were a couple of days ago. And Ole Miss, our last team in the field, uh, the Rebels, a uh, strong record overall, but uh, the underlying stuff in that resume, it, it does leave a lot to be desired, setting up a big game 
tomorrow night uh, at Rupp Arena against Kentucky. We'll see if Kentucky can keep boosting bubble teams into the uh, into the big dance with uh, with Road. But um, Rocco, any, any thoughts there on on Ole Miss being the last team in the field? Yeah, I'm a little higher on Ole Miss than than Brad, but I I love where Brad's head's at because this is something I point to all the time in bracketology didn't really come up today and I I do have a you know a pretty sick stomach when I look at a lot of these big 12 strength of schedules Ole Miss you can kind of understand you know Beard got hired late they just want to throw some games on the schedule Kevin I know on a previous show you talked about the Detroit Mercy one point win um, but I think selection is different um, you know if they end up by the cut line I agree with Brad they'll probably be left in Oxford for an NIT game um, but the way it stands today, they just don't have enough data. So you can kind of interpret it both ways. The way I'm interpreting it is this is a team with only five losses. They've showed us they can win at Texas A&M. By the way, that win got better over the weekend. Uh, they beat Florida. That, that win keeps getting better. And they beat that same Mississippi State team. Um, I've watched this team play quite a bit. Every time they're in a close game, they find a way to win. I think every single one of their losses is by at least five or more, maybe even double digits. So – of course, all that's going to uh, screw up their uh, performance metrics, but they're sitting there with the 17th best resume. I think that's very important for selection. And uh, maybe I'm just bumping up, a, bumping them up an extra spot or two. So they are safe from Dayton. I've got them as my last uh, number 10 seed. Interesting stuff. All right, let, let's pivot quickly here to the first four out. Uh, Brad, can you take us through your four teams that just missed the cut? Yeah, so first and foremost, Cincinnati uh, leads that list. They're a team that I had in. They got jumped. They didn't have a bad loss. They lost to Houston. Um, but again, a couple teams jumped into the field. There's one less at large bid. Uh, and you start looking at their resume. They're just 2-6 and six against quad one opponents, 4-7 and seven against Q1 and 2 with a bad loss. Um, and, and again, a poor non-conference strength of schedule. So there's a lot going against them right now. But it's going to work itself out for Cincinnati because they have the opportunities. They're in the Big 12. They're either going to win enough games and get into the field, or they're not, and, and, and they'll be out. Um, but they could, they're one of those teams that controls their own destiny. Um, Ole Miss was my second team out. Um, very good points made by Rocco about Ole Miss. They're a hard team for me to, to really figure out. Um, just in terms of their, as we mentioned, their, their strength of record is top 20 in the country but a lot of other things on that resume isn't particularly great. What is the committee going to do about that? And, and although the predictive metrics don't have anything to do with inclusion, it is still interesting that their predictive metrics are, are in the 70s. Um, so that's something to monitor. Uh, but again, they're in the SEC. They're going to have opportunities. Big game at Kentucky this week. Win that game you're in um, for the time being. And then... Next up, I have Seton Hall, who we touched on a little bit earlier. They took a significant hit with that loss to Villanova. Again, not a bad loss, just a bad way to lose the game. Um, so that, that hurts them. Um, and, you know, Seton Hall also has issues with their, you know, if they, even if they were to get in and were to get back into the field, their predictive metrics are so bad that they're, they're pretty much relegated to that last four in, barring them winning, you know, some some high quality games. I know they still get at UConn and at Creighton, um, but they need to do some more damage or do some more damage against the lower tier teams. More importantly, um, in that league. And then finally, uh, Providence. They lost a tough game at Butler. They were not at full strength in that game. 
Um, game that they probably should have closed out and won. Uh, again, not a bad loss. They just got jumped. Uh, so they have some upcoming games that could get them back you know, into the mix of things. Uh, but right now, they're my fourth team out of the field. And uh, we'll see where it goes from here. Rago, take us through your first four out. Well, the first one is uh, is tough uh, because I, I've seen New Mexico play the majority of their games this year. I've seen them in person. I really think highly of their team. I think the net and the Ken Palms, which have them still in the low 20s, are, are, are very potentially accurate in terms of their ceiling. Uh, but as Brad touched on during his last four in uh, segment, they really have only done damage at home uh, this far. And it's really unfortunate because they have an amazing eight and three road neutral record. But all eight of those wins, Kevin, are quad three or worse. So they're not like registering in all these key areas of uh, quality wins. So they show up as one of the only bubble teams right now without a road win in the top two quadrants. Um, they do have the nice San Diego State, Utah State, Nevada trio of home wins. Uh, but now you're trying to balance that with a bad loss. And you have, a, um, you know, the records are fine, in my opinion. They're four and four in the top two. That's average enough to put them in. You, and if I had an extra spot or two, as Brad talked about earlier, we have two bid steals right now. Uh, they would probably find their way in. Uh, but I think the, the danger zone here is, you know, they have a circuit breaker with the resume metric. I keep using that as a, as a term because um, when you go through the process and you still don't have your final answer, it helps to kind of look at where they are resume-wise. And they're sitting there at 59, which is, you know, worse than Boise State, who's in their own league. They don't have the road wins Boise State has. And I think as a projection here in February, it made sense for me to just project five of the six Mountain West contenders because I think by the end, if you had to guess for the league, they're probably getting five of the six. And so today, New Mexico, it's a beauty pageant, right? Uh, New Mexico is the least attractive option today because of all that. Um, so next we go to Memphis. Uh, Memphis actually is a team, you know, where the healing process has begun at FedEx Forum because uh, not only is the team playing better with a nice performance against Tulane, not that that moves the needle too much for their resume, but all five of their best wins got better over the weekend. Another team that won at Texas A&M, that Texas A&M win helps Memphis a little bit. They beat Clemson and Virginia. Those two teams are hot. They beat a VCU team on the road that just beat Dayton. That win looks a little better today. And their win over SMU, SMU got a win over the weekend. So Memphis's five best wins all improved. Um, they're, they're, they're still in a situation where four bad losses – including the, the horrific home loss to Rice, is keeping them um, on the wrong side of the bubble because the, the bad is outweighing the good. But I think Memphis is almost to a point where you can select them again. Uh, next, I have Wake Forest. Wake Forest, you know, I'm impressed by them on the court like you are, Kev. Problem there is they're still one in five in those top, uh, top two quadrant road opportunities. And the one win, it's barely qualifying at Boston College. So it's not anywhere near a tournament-level team. And then they're 3-7 and seven overall away neutral. So they're basically like Utah, but without a win at St. Mary's. So it's pretty easy to, to say, you know, Utah belongs above Wake Forest in an easy comparison there. Plus, in the top two quadrants, Wake Forest still does 5-7. and seven. In the ACC, they're going to get a ton of opportunities still. They have two games with Duke. Starts tonight at Cameron, as I know we'll talk about. And they, they still have a big chunk of their uh, important games ahead. So if Wake, Wake Forest needs to show up in some, some of these road games uh, and they can get to the tournament. And last, I'll, I'll go quick because Cincinnati, agree with Brad, they're out because of uh, subpar records in, in the key areas, four and seven against top two, seven and eight against the top three quads. 
You love the two road wins at Texas Tech and BYU, but overall body of work says, you know, they've had nine opportunities against, against tournament teams. They're just three and six. They've had eight opportunities to play on the road and they've just three and five and only two of those wins really matter with, with the two I mentioned and a little bit of a bad loss at West Virginia kind of makes that decision easy to leave them out. All right, let's quickly reveal here our consensus first four out. Uh, so Gonzaga, interestingly, staying out of the field, our first team out uh, work to do still for the Bulldogs as they head down the stretch of WCC play. Uh, Cincinnati, who Rocco just uh, astutely summarized, uh, our second team out, Wake Forest, with the huge game tonight against Duke, and then Memphis, uh, a, a monster game coming up here uh, on uh, throughout the rest of AAC play with those bad losses. So, uh, all right, we will head to break. When we come back on Fielding the 68, some conference breakdowns. See who moved, who didn't. There is nothing in sports better than the heart of the college basketball season, which is why I need to tell you guys about our partners over at Rhythm. If you're into sports betting, you need Rhythm, the place for data-backed props and picks. For those that are unfamiliar, Rhythm, spelled R-I-T-H-M-M, is the go-to mobile app for player props and game picks. Backed by AI predictive models, Rhythm helps you make smarter and faster betting decisions across all sports, but particularly college hoops, where there are as many as 150 games a day during conference play many of which have softer lines at BetMGM than you'll find in the NFL or the NBA. With Rhythm, you get data-backed picks for every Division I game every day. Users get free picks daily with the ability to upgrade to unlimited access. And for those of you already using modeling, you can build custom sports betting models within the Rhythm app itself. I am a Rhythm user, and I found that I've been a better better when I focus on lines where my gut and Rhythm's modeling are aligned. When I think UConn can cover on the road against Butler and Rhythm backs that up, we fire. But Rhythm also helps lead you to plays that you didn't know you needed to make. Like, for example, when the data says bet the over in UMass Lowell versus New Hampshire because you have a 61% edge on that line, you bet the over and you bink. So if you want to increase your edge and win more bets, go to the link in the description below and download Rhythm today. That's R-I-T-H-M-M, the place for data-backed props and picks. We are live on Fielding the 68, Field 68's Bracketology Show. I am Kevin Sweeney, joined uh, by Brad Wachtel and Rocco Miller. Uh, just revealed our bubble uh, now it's time to dive into some of these conferences. And I want to start with the SEC, uh, where the story somehow always is, is the Kentucky Wildcats. Uh, Kentucky now losers of four of their last six. And gentlemen, correct me if I'm wrong here, but when you kind of look under the hood at Kentucky, it gets shaky in a hurry, right? I mean, you look at this resume, there's some holes to poke. Only really three wins over NCAA tournament caliber teams. You know the metrics aren't so great anymore after some of these losses, Rocco. I'm not. I'm not saying that Kentucky's missing the NCAA tournament, but they, they've slipped yeah. quite a bit, haven't they? They have. I think a couple of weeks back we had them in the three-four area, three-four seed area. I think three was probably their ceiling uh, with this process for the last month. And you know, of course, taking three home losses in a row doesn't matter who it's against. And and they did play three pretty good teams in those losses. Um, it's going to hurt no matter who you are uh, just because the whole 
selection process, resume process, and breakdown, you know, you're expected to hold serve at home. So when you do that, you're going to, you're going to start dropping seed lines. And, um, you know, I don't know where Brad has them, but I have them down to a seven seed today, about 27th overall on the seed list with the way it all sh shook out. But, um, you, you know, you can't take away the wins over North Carolina and the road win at Florida, uh, even though they lost at home to Florida, um, is actually getting better. So they do have a couple high quality 1A, uh, 1A wins in the top half of the, of, of the top quadrant. Um, but just two and five out of those top seven opportunities. And as that continues, you know, as they continue to play poorly and not meet expectations, you know, some of those records are going to continue to get out of whack. So right now they're five and six in the top two quadrants. That's not really where they want to be. They want to at least be 500 and above. Um, but there's, as you said, they're still safe to be selected. You know, they've, their resume metric has fallen all the way to low forties. I think they're 42 in the SOR, for example. Um, but as long as they're safely in, they'll probably be seeded uh, according to their performance level, which is about a seven seed. I think they average out to about 25 and a half. I've got them 27s. Uh, so that's about a seven seed. But I think just in general, you know, like we've talked about with other SEC teams, they have a lot of other big games coming. They're going to play themselves into where they belong. You know, if they keep playing to the point where they can't win games, they can't close out games, they'll fall. They, completely out of the field. If they play up to Kentucky level potential, there's enough big games left to play back into the protected seed status. So there's a lot of different directions they can still go. Yeah, Brad, so ignoring the potential of abject collapse, right? Lose at home to Vanderbilt, lose at home to Arkansas, something like that, right? Could Is Kentucky in any real danger? Is there a world where they could miss the NCAA tournament? I mean, Ken Palm projects them right now to go 20 and 11, 10 and 8 in the league, right? They're still safely in in that scenario, you know, without something very strange happening, right? Yes. Uh, Kentucky's safely in the field. They, they, it would need to be a complete catastrophe for them to fall out of the field. And the number one reason what the committee loves is again who have you beaten where did you beat them and as long as north carolina is playing like a one seed or a two seed wherever they are currently a two seed right now that win is massive that in kentucky beat them on a neutral court um so that win is huge and i and i feel like if kentucky can kind of right the ship a little little bit they will still get the benefit of the doubt in their seeding because of that win that win is such a big win it wasn't just a home win. I mean, many teams could beat top-tier teams at home, but to do it away from home is significant. It just goes to show you that Kentucky has it in them, but now we got to see it for the rest of the way. And them losing some games at home these last couple of weeks is definitely troubling, uh, but not troubling to the point where I see them dropping out of the field anytime soon. All right, so Big Blue Nation, take a deep breath. Everything's probably going to be okay at least for another 24 hours when you play Ole Miss and Chris Beard. Then we can then we can go panic mode again if we'd like. Uh, let, let's pivot over to the ACC. A um, lot has changed, a lot of moving parts in this conference. Uh, and I think really one of the main stories in the ACC over the last month has been the performance of Virginia. Virginia team that you know, early in the season had some struggles, lost, you know, got blown out by Notre Dame, got blown out by Wake Forest, blown out by NC State. Uh, felt pretty far away at that point from an NCAA tournament team, but but since then have really gotten on a roll, won eight straight, uh, including at Florida State on Saturday. 
Rocco, how, how far and how quickly has Virginia risen and, and, and what's the ceiling here for the Cavaliers? They've risen fast. And I mean, you, when you're a bubble team and then you get hot like this, uh, you know, you're, you're continuing to ascend and a bunch of other teams around you are dropping. So it's a, it's a push pull effect where, uh, you know, it seems like every Monday and Friday we're putting Virginia another line higher, another line higher. At least that's how it's gone on my end. And they, they snuck in there as a seven seed, just like Kentucky today, um, which is interesting. But I think overall basketball wise, they're performing like a top 15 team in the last month, month and a half, probably since, you know, I went out there and saw them uh, beat Virginia Tech. They've been lights out since that day. Um, and I think, you know, Bennett really figured out his rotations. He had a lot of different combinations he was working with the first two and a half months. That's really kind of sorted itself out. They're playing so much more confident. They're undefeated at home. Nation's longest home winning streak. And that is, uh, that's good news because I believe they get North Carolina at home later, which could give them another boost up the seed list. And of course, um, a road game at Duke, which is just kind of a, you know, it's a sugar on top type of game if they can get that as well. So, uh, but I do think Virginia looks the part. Um, They're going to host Pittsburgh and Wake Forest this week. I don't expect any slip ups there, even though Wake Forest really needs that win for themselves. Um, I just, you know, I trust what Virginia has and, and Tony Bennett's, I think, earned that. So I think, and Brad can correct me if I'm wrong, I, I think the ACC now has four comfortable NCAA tournament teams, North Carolina, Duke, Virginia, and Clemson. Um, the opportunities for a fifth to emerge, though, seem to be dwindling outside of Wake Forest. Wake seems like the one team that is really right around the cut line. I think they were in our first first four-out consensus Brad, is, is there another ACC team that, that can make a push, or is it just Wake? Right now, it's probably just Wake. I mean, Virginia Tech, we had closer to our field probably a couple weeks ago. I, I mean, I, there's always that possibility because Virginia Tech does have the quality wins. They did beat Boise State on a neutral court. They beat Iowa State on a neutral court, and they already have a win over Clemson. But they got to start picking up the slack. They started got to start getting some wins. So I, I would say Virginia Tech is a possibility. You know, I don't think Pittsburgh is really quite there yet, even though they did win at Duke, which is which is big, of course. But just one and five against Q one, three and six against Q one and two, not not particularly great. So no, I, I think Wake Forest, as as you mentioned, is probably probably has the best opportunity. And you know, if they can go win at win at Duke. Uh, it's a game changer, kind of like how, kind of like what happened with Gonzaga, at Kentucky. You know, this is this is Wake Wake Forest's major opportunity. Can you take advantage of it? Let's see what you got. The metrics certainly very strong for Wake. It's just a matter of can they get that big win away from home, uh, and certainly winning at Cameron tonight at seven Eastern would suffice. We will head to break when we come back. Let's talk the Big East bubble because it has gotten interesting very quickly. Uh, We'll be right back on Fielding the 68. Big news, guys. I am thrilled to announce that we have partnered with Autograph, a company founded by the GOAT himself, Tom Brady. The Autograph fandom app gives you access to the best college hoops content, fan contests, and exclusive rewards like discounted tickets, all for doing the things that diehard fans like you already do following your favorite team in the news and listening to podcasts just like this one. When Tom, and yes, I am calling him Tom, we're on a first name basis these days, co-founded Autograph. 
He had one mission in mind, change the fan experience for the better. It works like this. You get all of your college hoops content you want in one place. You get articles from your favorite writers, pods from your favorite hosts, contests from your favorite creators, all on the feeds and the sites that you already enjoy. But instead of having to go to all these different places, it all comes to you in one spot, the autographed fandom map. But here's the best part. The more content that you consume, the higher you rank in the app. As you consider the level up in status on the app, you can unlock unique rewards curated exclusively for you. So download the free autograph app in the app store and use the referral code F68, that's F68, or tap in at the link in the description below or in the podcast app of your choosing to start earning points for doing something as normal as listening to this very podcast. It really is that simple. Rounding out a Monday episode of Fielding the 68, I am Kevin Sweeney, joined by Brad Wachtel and Rocco Miller. We are, as always, brought to you by Rhythm. Uh, and folks, we've, we've covered a lot of ground today. Uh, I'm impressed with us, but we've got, we've got more to do. And, and it's a league that feels like half the conference is on the bubble, and that, that is the Big East. Now, Butler seems to have started to you know, fly above the fray a little bit, but all these other b- bubble teams in the Big East have, have slipped. Providence and Seton Hall on the outside looking in as of now, St. John's and Villanova, uh, you know, even further down. Uh, Brad, can, can you give us the overview of, of what we're looking at here? Is, is the Big East really in danger of, of only being a four-bid league? I think it's certainly a possibility. Um, I don't think it's going to end up that way, and I think the Big East is still stronger than just the four teams. But right now, the way it looks, it's, you know, again, the committee doesn't select teams by conference. They select them by individual resumes. And right now, just four teams are well-deserving of a bid. Um, And actually, when you start looking at these four teams, they all need a little bit something different. Uh, First of all, Villanova They acquired the non-conference wins. They have a strong resume against top-tier opponents. So that's not their issue. They don't need wins against the top teams in the conference. They just need wins. It doesn't matter who it's against. They just need to win some games, get that overall record in a better position. If they can do that, and they looked pretty darn good yesterday in doing so, um, they'll find themselves in the tournament. But you can't start hovering around that 500 level or else you're not going to make the tournament. So start putting together a win streak and get back in the field. If they can do that, that's going to benefit a team like St. John's, who needs wins against the field. We say it all the time. Wins against the field. That's what we need. St. John's' best win this season looked like a better win a few weeks ago than it does now, and that's against Utah on a neutral court. And we talked about them earlier. Utah's barely in the field right now. So St. John's needs to pick up the slack. you got to beat some good teams. It's not just a matter of getting wins against the bottom-tier teams. That's not doing anything for them. you got to beat some of the top-end teams to really move the needle and, and take a nice leap. Um, and then as far as Seton Hall goes, we said it earlier, the bad loss at Nova really hurt their metrics. Um, they have some top-end wins. They beat UConn. They beat Marquette. Uh, they they got it. For me, winning a game away from home – while taking care of business at home um, is going to be crucial for them. Uh, there's a key game coming up soon at St. John's. 
which is going to be a massive game for both teams because it's going to be a game that both teams need desperately. Um, and then, of course, Providence is a team we've talked about who uh, needs some more quality wins. Uh, and if they can do so, they can get back in the field. So, again, all of these teams have the potential to get back in the field. They're not done by any means. But the time is now to start picking up the slack. The, the quantity of losses conversation is, is interesting here. You have Xavier at 13. They're probably, or excuse me, at 11 losses. They're, they're probably in, in trouble at this point, but you know, could turn it on. Villanova, who you mentioned, they're at 11 losses. St. John's at 10. Providence and Seton Hall each with nine. Rocco, is, is there like a cut line here? Is there a point of no return where, all right, there's, you know, how many losses is too many losses for, for these Big East teams? More than likely, anything above 14 is going to be an NIT trip or worse, um, because you, you look at just the net area is only ha- we've only had five tournament brackets uh, and only four full seasons because we had that one wacky season in there that had a tournament. But within the data that we have, I think there's only a couple of uh, examples of a team being two or three games over 500. Last year's tournament, you go back and look uh, on Selection Sunday. West Virginia was five games over 500. They were the closest team to 500 out of the 36 at-large bids. They were 19 and 14. So I think it would be in everybody's best interest to just plan as if that's the worst-case scenario. There are exceptions. You could do something crazy and win at UConn at the end of the year if you're one of these teams. But I think in general, the quantity of losses, I'm glad you brought it up, is uh, the biggest thing staring Villanova in the face right now, certainly uh, Xavier as well. And like you said, St. John's is up there. Seton Hall's getting there. So, again, I think the best thing for the conference would be is, you know, Butler's got those great road wins already. They're by no means safe. Um, so they they could fall out. But if they do, chances are pretty good. One of these bubble teams would rise up. I think the best thing for the conference would be if, if Butler can stay the course, get that fourth bid, and then one of these teams get hot, preferably a Seton Hall or a St. John's because they do have a little bit more wiggle room. Uh, Velanova, obviously the highest ceiling. If you know Moore is fully healthy, that obviously changes a lot of things. But I do think you know Velanova has to go five and two or better down the stretch to really feel good about any kind of chance. So um, yeah, they're up against it now. Like the pressure is certainly on for for most of these teams. Yeah, and, and and remember, we're working backwards here. So fourteen losses is our hard cap. That means we can only have thirteen losses in the regular season before that conference. Exactly. Uh, so if you're Villanova, you're you're, you're pushing it. You got to be five and two, as, as Rocco said. Um, let, let's round us out here with a couple of quick hitters, team wise. We didn't get to, didn't fit into anything necessarily. Michigan State, a, a team that obviously was of interest to the bracketology world. Uh, heading into the weekend, had that big game against Illinois, found a way to win in East Lansing, uh, and, and I think steer a little bit above that uh, cut line. Uh, they were not in our last four in consensus, uh, so so a little bit more stability. Uh, Brad, how much stability do, do the Spartans have after that big quad one win? So I have them as a 10 seed right now. It was significant, but, but, but they're not out of the woods yet. You know, similar to Nebraska, Michigan State – does not have a good record away from home. They're just two and seven away from home. Um, so they need to pick up some wins against, it doesn't matter who, pick up some wins on the road to get that in a much better spot. Um, but I feel pretty good about Michigan State. Uh, they have they had the win in non-conference play on a neutral court against Baylor. They beat Butler. They beat Indiana State, who many of us project as an at-large team right now. 
Um, and now, and now you add a win like Illinois. I feel pretty good about them having four wins against the field, um, and not all of them came at home. Like unlike Nebraska, who their key wins all came at home um, against the field. So that's one reason why I do have them ahead of Nebraska. Uh, so again, not out of the woods in a much more comfortable spot. Had they lost that game to Illinois, we would have seen a potential of Tom Izzo being left out of the NCAA tournament, which uh, never happens. <laughs> it has been quite some time since Michigan State was up against it like that. They're also a, a quantity of loss team. If they had lost that Illinois game, they would have already been at 10, stayed at 9, though, and I think you know, certainly moved a big step closer to the NCAA tournament. Um, Rocco, on the, on the one line, I think we, we talked Kansas being a potential riser. We talked you know, the Arizona, Carolina, Tennessee group. But there's another team that's really surging here in, in recent weeks, and that's Marquette. Marquette, you know, now 9-3 and three in the Big East, 18-5 and five overall, had that, you know, big non-conference performance with the road win at Illinois. They beat Kansas on the neutral court. That's certainly a, a big-time win. Uh, they've now won seven in a row, heading into road games this week at Butler and at UConn. How, how high is the ceiling for Marquette? Can, can they seriously contend for that number one seed? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you look at the remaining schedule and we'll talk about their competition in a second, but the remaining schedule, as you said, going to Butler and UConn, two, two NCAA tournament teams on the road in the same week. UConn is one of the best road wins money can buy, them or Purdue. Um, if they somehow can pull it off uh, out there in, in Hartford, it will be a needle mover. Uh, how much of a proportion? We don't know. We have to wake up the next morning and compare them to other teams, but it will it will be a huge, you know, linchpin at the top of their resume to go along, by the way, with a great road win already in, you know, in the bank at Illinois and a neutral court win against Kansas, which we'll see if that ever tends to matter or not, because they will be compared against Kansas as they are on this journey towards the one line. If, if they pursue this and, you know, with some big success like that, um, they also get a road game at Creighton uh, in early March. So, there's there's about four big opportunities if you add the home UConn game too to really move that needle. Um, but then from there, you know, I think right now they're playing from behind a little bit because today, even though they have those two great wins, they only have four wins against the field, and they're going up against like a Kansas who has eight. They have a, they have to pass Arizona who has six, or hope a team like a Houston falls. Uh, Houston today has seven. Uh, but Houston already has three true road wins against the field. Marquette only has one. So Marquette is playing catch up and they're probably going to need a little bit of help. But if you sweep UConn and then UConn doesn't lose to anybody else, again, UConn still got to stay great. Otherwise that, that win will start to get uh, diluted. Um, then Marquette's got, definitely has a path. Will be interesting to watch this big East race continue to emerge. Certainly that Saturday, uh, showdown in uh, at, at UConn has the chance to be, I think, one of the best games of the year in college basketball. Like sometimes you could step back from the brackets and, and things like that and just be like, that's going to be an awesome basketball game. I'm looking forward to it. I know you guys are as well. Uh, we can preview Saturday later, but we've got some big games before our next show, which is Friday evening again at 5:30 uh, Eastern time on all of the field field of 68 channels. Uh, what are the games you're looking at this week, Brad? Uh, that, that could have a pretty substantial impact on the field. Well, first and foremost, tonight, uh, as we mentioned earlier, Wake Forest at Duke. Uh, again, if Wake Forest can win at Duke, 
that's going to catapult them likely into the field. And now all of a sudden, all those Big East teams that are still out of the field, there's another team that we got to go catch. So that's, that's one that's going to be a very interesting result. Um, and the other game that I'm looking for, forward to, uh, I would say, is we've, we've already hit on some of these other teams. I'm looking at a team at a left field, a team that's been hot lately, a team like Rutgers, who gets to play Northwestern uh, at home. Um, so Rutgers is a team that was nowhere near the conversation, and they're still not very close to the conversation of, of getting an NCAA tournament bid. However, if they can beat Northwestern, they're building momentum. They're a different team with Jeremiah Williams um, as their X factor. Can they suddenly go on a little winning streak here and get in play for an NCAA tournament bid? I think if they beat Northwestern, fans are going to start to really, really get excited. They already have um, because they had that game on their schedule at Purdue. And when you have an opportunity like that on your schedule coming up in the next week or so, that's a game changer type of game. Do I think Rutgers will win at Purdue? Probably not, but they have won there before. And when you're going into a game with knowing that this is a game that could change our season as opposed to Purdue, where this is just another game for us against a Rutgers team who we've already beaten, we should beat again, you never know. Um, and that's the greatness about college basketball. So those are a couple of games that I'm looking forward to this week. I know all all the bracketologists have gotten well accustomed to worrying about Rutgers in the uh, the final few weeks of the uh, season. Seemed like they were uh, escaping that fate this year, but uh, uh, maybe not. It looks like maybe Rutgers could push their way back into the conversation. Rocco, uh, your games to watch this week, anything stand out to you? I think you got to start, uh, especially if you're thinking about the bubble, with another Mountain West thriller with uh, New Mexico at Nevada on Tuesday. You know, we've covered our, our issues with New Mexico not really having anything on the road. They can go from having nothing on the road to a bona fide quad one win and knock off some direct competition for a bid uh, in Nevada. From Nevada's standpoint, they just had the best week of their season, winning at Utah State, a game I got to see live. And uh, coming home and following that up with the big San Diego State home win. So can Nevada rise to the occasion three straight games? It's going to be a big test for them. Um, really good opportunity for New Mexico to really get the win they need. Uh, and so that, that's coming up Tuesday night. I also am looking forward to another bubble opportunity. As we said, Memphis's um, fate is starting to swing back in the positive direction. We're going to see what they're made of this, this week because uh, that, that Dallas trip will start at North Texas on Thursday night couple nights away still, but um, those are the kinds of games in the American conference that the average fan might not uh, take too seriously. Uh, but I, I tell you, going into that super pit and getting a win is definitely not easy. Uh, fans are going to be all over them there. And uh, we'll see if Memphis has really matured and, and conquered the next level. Even if they go to North Texas and SMU this week and split that, I'll be pretty impressed. Um, if they sweep it, I think they're guaranteed for me to be back in the field next Monday. Certainly a big week for Memphis. See if they can build on that recent momentum uh, off of that horrible losing streak that, that jeopardized their hopes of going dancing. Well, that that is all for us today on Fielding the 68. Again, if you are looking for the full projected field, uh, check out our social media handles, uh, all, all of Field of field the 68 on Instagram, uh, Twitter, etc. Find the bracket there. Uh, and if you want to come back and Hear us again on Friday afternoon, 5.30 Eastern. It will be a great crew of Bracketology insiders 
uh, breaking down all you need to know. Uh, appreciate you all joining us here on Fielding 68. We will see you all on Friday.